Would you please grab your Bibles or your devices and open to Ephesians chapter 4. Once again, I want to emphasize the praying for one cards. We got a good start last week. I got 35 or so of these cards. And many of you took them home wondering, you know, I just need to figure out who I'm going to pray for. And that's great. Some of you weren't here last week and don't know what I'm talking about. But this is a a year-long initiative that we're trying to together, but individually pray for someone that is on your heart. Maybe it's a family member, a co-worker. Perhaps it's just a, a friend that you know is far from God and needs to know Jesus. And the way I've been breaking it down is to pray that that friend or that coworker or that family member goes from lost to saved, or if they're already a member of God's family, that they would go from just being saved to being a disciple. Maybe they need to grow in their spiritual walk. And if, they're, if they are further along, maybe they need to serve. Maybe they need to be from a disciple to deployed. And in that way, just to say, let's pray for one another the build up the body of Christ. So give that some thought. And if you know who this person is, again, the big one is for me, that stays. You can put it in the offering plate or in the basket in the welcome center, uh, or you can just hand it to me. And the little one is for you to be a reminder. You may not think that you're very good. Uh, I've, I've not met hardly anyone who says, well, I'm really good at praying. I mean, I worry about that person. All of us have feelings like, I'm just not adequate. I don't know what to say. Sometimes I'm just, I don't find the time. And so when we do pray, it's largely inside our heads, which is fantastic and great. God knows and he hears. Praying out loud, I think, is probably the most terrifying thing that any of us do that aren't just making ourselves do it in some form or fashion. Like anything else, it gets easier the more you do it. Because we're all afraid we're going to say something dumb, right? Well, how many of you have said something dumb? So we're over it, right? So we're done. We're, we've done that. We're going to do it again. It's okay. But one thing that I, I want to do is just to get, I hate to say the word better, but the word, I want to get better at praying. I want to get better at communicating with, with you. I want to get better at communicating with my wife and my kids. I want to get better at all of these things. So I want to get better at praying. I want to get better at listening to God. And one of the phrases that I think we all have a tried and true with our prayers is God be with us, be with that person, be with that person, be with me. Can I just say that God already said he'd be with us? He already promised that. It was something he made very clear. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I know what we mean by be with. I, I know that there's a lot more to it. I mean, we're, we're praying for comfort. We're praying for guidance. We're praying for protection. We're praying for correction, even courage. We want confidence and love. We want peace. We want joy and we want patience. And so let's get specific. L- let's put our thesaurus at work. Let's bring up some of these words. Let's try and even write down our prayers as an exercise of, let me just get off of autopilot and really engage in conversation with the one who made me. And so, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not, this is not a, a correction. I'm not talking down on anybody. But what would you think if, if a person in your family that has committed to be that person for you, 
like say you've got a, you've got a spouse. Let's just say you, you're, you're married, and your spouse comes to you every day and says, will you be my spouse today? Please, don't leave me. That would be a very shallow, unhealthy, fearful relationship. But how many of us every single day talk to God like that? Oh, God, don't leave me today. Oh, please be with me today. Don't, don't, don't abandon me today. And he's like, I'm not. I won't. Let's get on with, you know what I'm saying? If your kid came to you and said, will you be my mommy today? Yes. I was your mommy yesterday. I'll be your mommy tomorrow. I'm your mommy today. If your kid came to you every day and asked you that, would you wonder, what is the insecurity here? What is the problem? This is what we do to God. And he says, I think let's get past the be with thing and let's get into some real deeper need-based praise-oriented conversation. And so when we pray for the one, God is already with that person. Let's pray specifics. Let's get to the heart of God for that person. And that means you have to be in line with the heart of God for that person, which means you're going to have to listen for the needs of that person. This praying doesn't change anybody else. Sometimes praying just changes us. Praying doesn't change God's mind necessarily, although in Scripture sometimes prayers did change his mind. But for us, it's like, let's just not try to change God. Let's let God change us in regards to the person we're praying for. Sometimes we don't know what to pray, and that is fine. Romans 8, verse 26 tells us this, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with the will of God. The Spirit's already listening to your heart and already communicating some of that to the Father. It's a wonderful thing that God helps us pray. And so the only way to get better at something is to do it. The only way to get more at ease with God is by talking more to him and listening. So use these prayers of Paul. Use the Psalms to fuel your prayers. In many of Paul's letters, he takes a lot of the same format. The first three chapters of Ephesians was all about identity, all about who we are in Christ and and, and Paul's prayers for the believers. And then there's this shift that happens. It's like a door swings on its hinges, and between chapter 3 and chapter 4, there is this, okay, then, now what moment? Therefore, let's talk about how to live. The first half sets the stage as to why the second half matters. The first half is the rationale. The second half is the motivation. Because of what God did, and because of who you are, this is how the new humanity plays out. If you wear the name, you've got to play the game. If you put on the jersey, you've got to cheer for the team, right? You've got to play for This isn't just behavior police. When I was younger, I used to, in my Bible reading, I used to skip all of this stuff in the beginning and get to where, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is the practical stuff. But if I skip all the things beforehand, I've missed the entire purpose of why I'm doing all of these things. 
It's just plain common sense, cause and effect. So if you're in Christ, if you're united with him in his death, in his burial, then you've also been united with him in his resurrection to new life. You've been given a new name. You have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And then there should be something, however gradual, changed about you. A resurrection took place after your old self died and a transformation is taking place day by day, making you new. This isn't just the only place that this happens here. Here's a few scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15.49 says, Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. He's talking about resurrection body, but that's the culmination. That's the end of the story. That's the ultimate goal. But that's not just the flip of the switch. We should be reflecting Christ here and now which is what 2 Corinthians 3 talks about. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. It's like you're turning the volume up just a little bit every day. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And then Colossians 3, 9 says, don't lie to each other. You've, why? You've taken off the old self with all the stuff that it does. You've put on the new self which is being, listen, renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. It's a process. It's what the $5 word is sanctification. It's being made holy. So what reason does Paul give for not lying? Well, he never mentions the Ten Commandments. He never mentions it being bad or sinning, although all those certainly are true. The main motivation he gives them for not lying is, that's not who you are anymore. You're wearing somebody else's clothes now. This is not, they, you got rid of that. Don't go back. And this is how Paul starts chapter 4. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Live a life worthy of this calling. By faith you've believed, by grace you've been saved. As a church you are united so... Live your life like all that actually makes a difference. That God's power somehow changed you. So understand, uh, again, it's not completely obvious in the English, but if I go to my Greeky stuff, it says that the you here twice is plural. I wish that some Bible translator would have said y'all right there. Because that's what it is. It's all y'all. It's... It's not just you as an individual. He's talking to the church as a whole group of individuals. He's appealing to their Christ-given calling, their identity as a new humanity, a third race, as some have called it. It's not Jew. It's not Gentile. They're followers of Christ. The NIV says, live a life worthy. The word there, and some of your translations might reflect that, is walk in a way that's worthy. Walk in, walk worthily. To walk is a common way to refer to a life lived. Which is why 1 John chapter 2 says, By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he lives in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now that's not the old, oh, the old Frankenstein movie. It's like, walk this way. You know, okay, all right, I'll walk that way. No, no, this isn't literally walking like Jesus. I mean, how did Jesus walk? I don't know. How did he walk? Uh, with a little swagger? No. How did he live? That's the question. 
walk as he walked, live as he lived, talk as he talked, gave as he gave, do as he did, follow him. So close that the dust of the rabbi is shaken up and covers you. Walk as he walked. I like the action. I like the visual. The walk serves as the description of all of these qualities after the fact. Walk in all humility, verse 2. Walk in gentleness. Walk in patience and meekness. Walk bearing with one another. Now this bearing part is like forbearing. It's enduring. It's at the very least putting up with each other. In love, it says. And as you walk together, it says, make every effort, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And just in case they needed more convincing, he drives the point home. There is one body, the church. There is one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There is one Lord we follow. There is one faith in Him. There is one baptism that you all experienced. There is one God, one Father of all of us who is over all and through all and in all. But, verse 7, there's a little bit of a transition here in this text. The first six verses are all about us living a life worthy together. But, you know, there's a little variation going on here because y'all are not the same people. You're each very unique in how you're made. We have different ingredients here. We have, each one of us has been given grace as Christ apportioned it, measured it out. We've all received grace, but apparently we've received it in different ways. Variations. Every gift for a believer can be different. It's all grace. And Christ is our salvation, but the way this grace is lived out and to be responded to necessarily is unique to every one of us. How boring would it be if every one of us were the same? We were each created differently. Look around. Some of you are more different than others. Okay? He gave certain roles to the church. Now, this is not an exhaustive list here by any means, but verse 11 says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Now the apostles were ones sent forth. They were messengers. It's used of the twelve. It's also used of other leaders in the New Testament church. The prophets, the ones who speak God's words. They're the ones God says, say this, and they say it. We, we think of prophets as making predictions. In the Bible, that's largely not what they do. Prophets just say God's words to people. Sometimes it has to do with what's going to happen in the future. Most of the time, not. It's just what God said to say. Evangelists. These little guys who bring the big tent in the town have big hair and a flashy suit. No. <laughs> These are the guys who just bring good news. These are the people who bear the gospel. And we have attached these images to the word evangelist from our upbringing or whatever. But it's really just somebody who just gives the good news. Pastors, the translation here really normally is shepherd. 
It's, it's the elders among us. It's the ones who care for people. It's the ones who look after the sheep. And teachers, no surprise here, just people who communicate truth in ways that affect everyday life. So, I'm going to bring my lovely assistant up here, my wonderful wife, Rhoda, to help me with this bit of uh, visual here. There are in the, uh, in the Welcome Center, and I have uh, special helpers, I hope, that are going to be at the doors uh, when we're all done to give each one of you one, mind you, one oatmeal raisin cookie. If you don't like oatmeal raisin, I'm sorry, that's what we made. 200 of them, at least, yesterday. But I thought, you know, there's something to this. There's something to different ingredients making something that's pretty wonderful. And the first thing that you have to have is a recipe. I mean, you, you can just grab all this stuff and just start throwing it in a bowl, and you might get something edible. But I really would recommend you get the recipe. There needs to be some directions here about what to do and how to do it and, and who really is in charge. It, this needs to be consulted first, like the carpenters say, measure twice, cut once. Read and read and read, and then you begin to measure out and mix. So first we have brown sugar and uh, white sugar. There's sweet people of all different colors, right? And they need, to be, they need to be mixed. Brown sugar, white sugar, sweet people of all shapes and sizes and, and colors and ethnicities need to be mixed together. That's going to be our eternity because of all the pictures in Revelation, it is all tribes, all peoples, all languages in harmony together forever. So we have brown sugar and we have white sugar mixed together. And then, this isn't going to be real scientific, it's going to be faster than she'll ever want to move, but um, <laughs> then we have butter. Butter is just smooth. It's the people that hold things together, right? You need people like this. They're sticky, not literally, but they have a tendency to grab people and they just hold them close because they're just... Well, they're attractive in their nature. And when they're mixed with people, they tend to bring, to bring unification and uniting. That didn't really melt all that well, did it? I didn't get it warm in here. The problem with butter sometimes is it gets cold. <laughs> and, and a little hard. <laughs> so if you're a buttery person, don't, don't do that. How you doing? We did this all afternoon yesterday. And then we have flour. No? You have the egg first. Eggs. <clears throat> Keep me straight here on the recipe because I'll just be clear. Um, she made the first batch yesterday, and then I decided, well, I can do this, and I forgot the salt. So if you get the first batch of cookies, you'll know that you'll, they're better, and she made those. But So eggs. Um, after, we'll just, we're, we're really not going to probably bake these. It's going to be okay. It's just, it's just a visual. Okay. What? Okay. Okay. 
Eggs are complex people. Uh, there's many parts to them. They're, they're, um, some, some egg people are fragile, right? They, and, and I'm not being facetious. I, I think some of us are, are more fragile by nature. And maybe it's just because we've been hurt before, or maybe it's because we weren't strengthened as, as, as in growing up. And so, but they have wonderful insides, <laughs> and they, they bring all kinds of, of goodness to the mix. And then, ah, vanilla. Vanilla brings flavor, but you don't want to drink it straight. Okay? Too much vanilla in one spot can, can cause bad things to happen. And then, and then what, dear? Oh, and then the flour. Flour. Let me help you with that. Some people, okay, some people, um, there's nothing flashy about them. They're, they're quite um, content being wonderfully normal. Half cup? Whole cup? Oh, three-fourths of a cup. Fantastic. So I need three of these. This is what we do. But they are the foundation of everything that happens. Quantity-wise, they make up most of us. And they're needed. We can't discount the white bread kind of people. Okay. And then baking soda, baking soda, not baking powder. There's a difference. And y'all should know, there's, there's a difference. Baking soda is kind of bitter. Some people, <laughs> sorry, cut. <clears throat> Some people are a little bitter, <laughs> maybe abrasive. But there is a chemistry that happens with baking soda in cookies, it is a leavener. It helps to rise the whole thing. Some people, even though they might be coarse, and if you get a whole mouthful of it, it's bad news, but they will help to straighten and exhort and bring some truth to things that need to be brought to bear. Follow? By the way, am I the only one here that's ever brushed their teeth with baking soda? I no, really. I mean, you keep a bowl of it right there, and you just pat that down, and just right there. It's cheap toothpaste. Okay, good stuff. Good stuff. Now what? We have cinnamon, wonderful flavor. Some people bring a lot more flavor to the mix. It's subtle, though. Sometimes, sometimes not so subtle. Ever had a mouthful of cinnamon? Ah, yes, the salt. The salt comes. I looked a little bit of this up, too, because I am not a baker by trade. I thought, why salt? I thought salt was just the stuff you sprinkled on food to make it more flavorful. Salt in baked goods is a necessity. Like I said, I forgot the salt in the second batch. They were flatter and more runny. Salt brings out the sweet. In your tongue and in your digestive system, salt brings out the sweet receptors in your mouth. And it helps with bringing proteins together to make things more chewy and structured more solidly. Okay. And then she mixes the flowers, cinnamon, 
and the baking soda into all the other liquidy stuff. And while that is taking place, let me just bring some application out here. Can I extract the baking soda from that cookie dough? Yes or no? No. It has lost its individuality. And so has everything else in here. I don't think, barring the raisins, which we'll you know, get into, raisins are interesting people. They really do keep their individuality, even in the mix. So sometimes you, you have to have those people too. The oats are, are coarse as well. But, you know, they give personality to the group, a little texture, right? Um, raisins? <laughs> raisins are people who've been around a while but they keep things moving. Okay? <laughs> hey, I worked hard on that one. I did. Another thing about salt, if you keep all the salt and light in one place, Jesus said you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. If you keep all the salt and the light in one place, you'll have a well-lit, bitter church. I didn't make that up. Somebody else told me that a long time ago. But in, in mixing all this stuff, they lose their individual taste and appearance. They become one. They contribute to the end result. And while eating cookie dough is kind of fun, it's not all that recommended with raw egg, necessarily. This has to go through a process of separation into individual bodies, and through an awful lot of heat, trial, <laughs> flames, so to speak. I mean, I've never had a flame-roasted cookie, but there is a lot of pain that this is going to go through in order to become something that is edible and wonderful. And I think that all of this is true for a church. There's nothing like suffering and trial to bring people together into one, into one purpose, one mission, unity among friends and family. What is the common function? Thank you. What is the common function of all of these roles? Well, verse 12 says, to prepare God's people for works of service. Notice it doesn't say it was he who gave, to be, who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers so that they could do all the work and let everybody else sit around. <laughs> that's, that's not an indictment. That's a generalization that I've heard when someone says to a paid staff member of a church, well, that's why we pay you to do that. My job is to work myself out of a job. My job is to equip the saints for works of service so that, what does it say? The body of Christ may be built up until, what are we shooting for? Until we reach unity in the faith, unity in the knowledge of the Son of God, and there is a sense of maturity, and we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He's, he's hearkening back to chapter 3, verse 19, that we can be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There's a lot of unity and fullness here. This is why Paul spends so much time talking to them about how they should act toward one another. 
This is why he talks about so much about unity in the faith and unity in the body. It didn't take long for these churches to form before splits started to happen, before division and dissension was rampant in these churches. So this is who you are. Act like it together. This is how you were called to be this together. This will lead to maturity. And you're able to reach toward the fullness of Christ. Then you'll no longer act like infants, throwing selfish tantrums. There's nothing more painful than to see a long-time Christian throwing a tantrum because of something that it's just, it's just tough because we're supposed to be striving toward unity and maturity and building one another up. And in your anger it says, do not sin later on. We'll get to that. But we grow up into him, that is Christ, who is all the authority. He is the head. He's the top. He's the one we answer to. And from him we are all connected, held together. Every part, every fiber, every muscle, nerve, blood vessel, vital organ, as each part does its work and grows in love for God and for one another and for the world around us. This isn't unity just for the sake of getting along. This isn't obedience just so we're good people. This, is, this isn't just church with a lot of people in it. This kind of unity, rooted in love and humility, produces growth. It impacts other people in our community. It serves, it gives, it functions as each part plays a part. As each part is equipped as each part is working properly, it builds itself up in love. So the whole point is finding out and, and, and writing, fi- figuring out what part, what ingredient are you? As you've been a part of this church, or maybe you're new to this place, and you're trying to figure out, what do I do in the body of Christ that matters? Even, even just what is God calling me to? And maybe some of you have been asking that question a long time and you're like, I've tried to figure this out. I've been asking questions and I don't know. I've still not figured it out. Well, let's just keep struggling together. Let's keep loving each other. And let's keep giving each other opportunity. Last week was, last week was a hard morning for a lot of us. And uh, we purposefully put off the 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 meeting of those that wanted to be a part of the hospitality team. We, we, didn't, we didn't do that for obvious reasons, but we're having another short meeting right after church, right after second service today. And I know sometimes it's hard for first service people to get back after second service, but what I'd like to know is if you would like to be a part of this, and some of you have already told me you want to be a part of this ministry. You want to be a people who help other people feel welcome. And you want to be a part of a body that helps people find their place as guests here. We need to be intentional about that. So if you'd like to be, if that's one thing like, well, I could try that. Either see me after this service or come after second, and we'll talk it through. We'll pray over it. And I appreciate your time in that too, in that patience. As we grow as a church, as we find our place, as we grow together in love and unity, Let's keep doing the hard work of getting along. Let's pray. God, our our time is 
short, it seems, all the time. And, and we're, um, but we want to give proper attention to your word and, and to each other. We want to lift each other up in love and in unity. So help us to do that in ways that are good. In Jesus' name, amen.